Hello, welcome to 1,000 Words, Stories on the Way. My name is Matthew Clark. I hope you're holding up okay these days. I'm doing my best to stay at home and get some work done. Uh, This week, in particular, I'm trying to focus on songwriting for a new recording project that I'm planning. So that's why I'm running a little late on the podcast. But this week, I'm really excited to welcome my friend Rachel Mosley as a guest essayist. Rachel and her husband, Stephen, are really dear friends of mine. Uh, Rachel and Stephen, a.k.a. The Mosleys, are a singer-songwriter couple. they got a full-length album and an EP online, and you can find them on their website, themosleysmusic.com, and on Instagram, at themosleysmusic. Uh, Rachel is a writer, an illustrator, a mom of five kids, and she makes really good gumbo. Uh, you should definitely check out our illustration website also over at rachelmosley.com. Rachel is R-A-C-H-E-L. Mosley is M-O-S-L-E-Y. rachelmosley.com. I love to talk uh, about books with Rachel. I also like to borrow ones from her that I never actually get around to reading. And then later, you know, kind of nod knowingly when she mentions them and say stuff like, Mmm, yeah, that's a great book. So so this week, uh, Rachel will be sharing her essay, Cloud of Witnesses. And she's also handpicked a poem called Lessons by Jacqueline Woodson uh, to close us out. So stick around for that. But uh, in this time when we're all hunkering down to escape a deadly disease, I think of the psalmist in Psalm 90. And he's asking God to teach him to number his days so that he might gain wisdom. And uh, I know for me, I'm thinking about it. Um, Now is a good time to be still and to pay attention to those who've already gone ahead of us and to learn from their faith and also to pay attention to those that we still have with us. Um, This is kind of, you know, a sobering experience and it is painful to sober up, but that's when we really get a chance to participate in what's real and beautiful. So, um, so anyway, thank you for being here today. And uh, here is Rachel Mosley with her essay, Cloud of Witnesses. This evening in Mass, Jane Frances climbed wildly on the pew while the older four children tried to ignore her. She was aware of the ignoring and set about fighting it. Jane is potty training and must always use the potty during church. When I took her to the restroom for the second time, I somehow managed to tear the side of her pull-up irreparably, leaving her bare-bottomed and unladylike, which sent the other children into giggle fits. Mass is often offered for the repose of the soul of someone who has recently passed. We pray for our loved ones who have gone and for those who will soon die. My grandmother Joyce is among these. She has end-stage lung cancer and expects just a few more months. I pray for her the best I can while the children sniffle and giggle around and on top of me. As I look at the little ones, I'm struck by how much my prayer has shifted over the past year. As a younger mom, I often prayed for protection. Many times it didn't come, though, or at least not as I thought of protection. Now I pray for the strength I'll need when inevitable losses come my way. Teresa, a college friend of mine, lost her son a few years ago. He drowned and was not revived. His faithful parents, full-time foreign missionaries, prayed and prayed and he died nonetheless. 
The toddler daughter of a friend fell into a pool this past spring where she was found after nearly five minutes. Her faithful parents prayed and prayed, spoke healing over the child, and she lived miraculously. These moms know each other, and when I heard Teresa comment that she was praying for the recovery of the little girl, I wondered at her generosity. I wonder about God's protection. The story of Lazarus causes me to bristle a bit. Jesus raised his friend, but he doesn't raise my own or Teresa's or so many others. When my little cousin died in a pool accident just before I was married, a priest friend cried with me and told me how sad God was that this had happened. I hadn't thought of it that way before. I had not thought of God's compassion and of his own grief, and it seemed silly somehow that I had missed the crux of it. I had to sift out my lack of understanding of how God could be in control and a good father and allow these terrible things to happen. The answers I was given or could come up with on my own never seemed right, but Emmanuel, God with us, God who was really sorrier about my nephew than I was myself, was the answer completely. Jesus wept, and then he raised, as we know he will, on the last day. Last, because night will not follow it. Since that first loss, and maybe before, I've been a little obsessed with the concept of death. I felt so utterly unprepared for it. I don't want my children to be unprepared, so I tell them strange things like, anyone can die at any moment, and everyone dies, you know. And I'm sure that's very comforting for them. My husband works with the dying in palliative care here at our tiny town's hospital. I ask about his patients, if they are afraid, and he says that most often they are. I remember a late pregnancy, how I was afraid then, but ready. And I wonder if old age feels that way. I hope it does. I have not known my grandmother Joyce well. She lived in Louisiana, and my family visited some when I was a kid. I went to visit on my own when I was old enough to think Marksville, Louisiana was quaint and exotic. I loved seeing the old Hippolyte Bordelon house, a standing bit of family history there from the first of us to come to the United States. I loved sleeping on the uneven floor of great-grandmother Essie's house built by her own parents where she raised my grandmother and her siblings, where she lost the youngest in a car accident in the driveway. There were images of unfamiliar French blessed mothers on the shelf in her living room and a painting of St. Rita. I was the only practicing Catholic in my family as a teen, and when I saw these things, I felt the roots of my faith. Essie had a strong Cajun French accent, and it made me nervous to talk to her. I brought a chatty boyfriend along once in college, and he asked her a million questions while I stood nearby in the kitchen, eating Essie's beet salad and learning how to talk to old people. After that, I visited more often, amused by the piquant flavor of Marksville and fascinated by my grandmothers. Stephen and I visited while we were engaged, and we sang on Grandma Joyce's front porch. It was a folk song with a bit of French in it that I didn't understand, and Grandma Essie cried and hugged us. The next time we visited Marksville was to attend her funeral. I saw the names of all the women in my line there in St. Joseph's Cemetery. I was too young then to think I would ever be among them. I looked at their names on the old gravestones with the eyes of an observer, but now I know that I am part of the story. When Essie died, much of my sadness was the loss of not knowing her well. I think it will be the same when my grandmother Joyce passes. We are more connected than I ever knew, and now it's nearly too late. When one generation goes, I am pushed a bit closer to my own mortality. What a quick passing it has been. Grandma Essie told me that it gets faster and faster the older you grow. 
I have a middle school child now. She is five foot one and I'm five foot three. When I hear her speak, I think, who's the grown up in the room with the kids? I see my sister and her smile. I hear my mother and my aunt in her voice and all the women of my family in her quirky bookish humor. I look at my mostly grown girl and time seems a blink. I thought I'd have so long to figure out everything and to parent right, in the right town, in the right house. I have just a few short years before she is grown. How can we live knowing that we are not protected from all the passings? How can we remember that we don't have the time we think we have? Every May, my family gathers to celebrate my sister's birthday and my parents' anniversary with a crawfish boil. This year, my sister thought my mom would enjoy having a theme and my mom thought my sister wanted a themed party. So we gathered early in the afternoon and set up paper pineapples and wore lays for each other. My family is full of crazy people, but they're my own crazy people. I ask my mom and my sister to pay attention to my daughter, to see how she talks to her siblings, to help me figure out how to help her be kind. They tell me that they see she can be unkind, but that I ought to remember that she is lovely and helpful and sweet. She hasn't made friends here easily in our new town, but this is it for us, and I who struggle to make new friends must help another person do so. The blind must lead the blind. I wonder what Grandma Essie, who was always a little bit spicy, might have said if I'd ever asked her about the secret of life. I imagine she would have told me that she had no idea. How should she know? Suddenly, all my ancestors are behind me. Be still, they say. Watch and listen. You are the result of the love of thousands. To wind this up as a kind of benediction, Rachel picked this poem, which I'll read. Uh, It's by a contemporary African-American poet named Jacqueline Woodson, and it's called Lessons. It's from her book, Brown Girl Dreaming, published by Nancy Paulson Books uh, in 2014. My mother says, When Mama tried to teach me to make collards and potato salad, I didn't want to learn. She opens the box of pancake mix, adds milk and eggs, stirs. I watch, grateful for the food we have now, syrup waiting in the cabinet, bananas to slice on top. It's Saturday morning. Five days a week she leaves us to work at an office back in Brownsville. Saturday we have her to ourselves, all day long. Me and Kay didn't want to be inside cooking. She stirs the lumps from the batter, pours it into the buttered, hissing pan. Wanted to be with our friends running wild through Greenville. There was a man with a peach tree down the road. One day Robert climbed over that fence, filled a bucket with peaches. Wouldn't share them with any of us, but told us where the peach tree was. And that's where we wanted to be, sneaking peaches from that man's tree, throwing the rotten ones at your uncle's. Mama wanted us to learn to cook. Ask the boys, we said, and Mama knew that wasn't fair. Girls inside and the boys going off to steal peaches. So she let all of us stay outside until supper time. And by then, she says, putting our breakfasts on the table, it was too late. For me, the way that poem suggests the idea of a like a generational table, learning to cook and eat what generations before cooked and ate, and being invited you know, not to miss that. I can't help but think of the Lord's Supper 
and how when we come to that table, we're participating in that same holy meal, sitting at the same table that the great cloud of witnesses sat at or sits at. Uh, I hope this time of quarantine, I I don't want to miss this opportunity. I hope it can be a time to stop and remember the faith we're part of and relearn some recipes for love, relearn some recipes for hope and faith keeping in these, you know, strange times. Uh, So hang in there, friends. Uh, Know that you are loved, you are looked for, and uh, I'm thankful that you were here this week. Thanks, and I will see you next time.